You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Last week, I was a little bit nervous, okay? You say, why were you nervous? Because of all the stories that I tell about Jane, last week was her chance to get even Stephen. And the first service, she was super nice. She didn't say anything. But the second service, this crowd, y'all brought something out of her. And it was like, hey, there is no off limits when it comes to talking about me. So she just went for it, and we had a good time. But uh, last week was awesome to be together with you and getting to study uh, what God had for us. And so we're in a series entitled The Imperfect Family. Week number one, we talked about influence. The greatest thing that you really want over your family is influence. You see, when you have influence over your spouse and over your children, there's no reason to yell and scream and to fight or to manipulate. Why? Because you have influence. You don't need to do those things. You have influence. And that's one of the things we want. We want to be able to influence people and not just be influential in our places of business or be influential in our places of community. No, no. we want to have influence with the people that truly matter, the family around us, that when we say, hey, we're going to go to church, the whole family's like, yeah, mom and dad are doing it. I want to do it. If they're going to do it, if it's good for them, it's probably good for me. That shows the kind of influence we have. But we said that influence is diminished because of inconsistencies. Come on, we're, we're famous for being Sunday-only Christians or Monday-morning atheists. We're, we're, we're one way at church. Help me out for a second. We work at our jobs, average 9 to 5. Some of us have different hours, but just for sake of illustration, most of us have a 9 to 5. And because we have a 9 to 5, you and I, we can put on a mask of who we want people to perceive who we are. And so from 9 to 5, 8 to 8 hours a day, 50 to 70 hours a week, we can wear that mask. And we can, we can kind of project something that we're not really. But then when we go home, guess what happens? The mask comes off, doesn't it? And, and the, the spouse and the children and the grandchildren and the, the family living with us, they get to see who we really are. And because of our inconsistencies, that diminishes our influence over their life. Because we will say amen and we will say these great things. We will, we will project an image that we know is not true. We, we do it all over. And so we said that influence is diminished because of inconsistencies. But influence is restored with intentionality. When you and I get intentional about time with our family, when we get intentional about sharing the truth with our family, when we get intentional about these things, because too often we're guilty of not being intentional. What we're guilty of is we're guilty of just kind of being uh, passive, being inconsistent. And so we said week number one, you want to have influence, then you need to start with consistency. Week number two, we talked about how a family handles emergencies. What do you do when there's an emergency in the family? And we looked at, once again, the nation of Israel. As they were being pursued by the country of Egypt, the Bible says that as they were being pursued by the country of Egypt, they paused, they stopped, and they prayed. Too often we're guilty of an emergency. We want to freak out. We want to get all upset. We want to get all bothered. And then we get mad and we'll come home and we'll just be upset at everything and we're going to kick the cat and we're yelling at people. And it's okay to kick the cat. Don't kick the dog. You can kick the cat. That's 
perfectly fine. I know I'm offending some cat lovers here, but let me tell you, cats are related to the devil. You say, what do you mean? The Bible says the devil is a roaring lion. A lion is a feline family. Felines are cats, so cats are connected with the devil. So kick that cat. All right. And uh, some of you are like, what? <laughs> We're kicking cats in church now? No, no. It, it, it's one of those things where you're frustrated. So you're taking that anger and you're looking for somebody to project it on. Man, the boss said something and you can't go off on him because he might fire you, might demote you. So what do you do? You take it out on the spouse and we're looking for somebody to project that on instead of handling the emergency where we say, you know what? We need to just pause and we need to pray over this. And then we also saw that they didn't just pause and pray. They understood that God wasn't picking on them, that God was picking them for a purpose, that they had a purpose, that God wanted to use their life. God wanted to do something with them. And so when you understand that I have a purpose, all of a sudden I don't need to get frustrated by it. I don't need to get so upset that God is working something out. And I want you to come back next week because we're going to talk about the pressure of a family. And many of us feel like we're in a prison of our own pressure. You feel like you're just in a prison with all the pressure that you've got going on. All the pressure, the financial pressure, the emotional pressure, the relational pressure. Some of you got bladder pressure. I mean, there's all kinds of pressure that's just kind of going on. And you're like, man, I'm dealing with all these different pressures in my life. So next week, come back. We're going to talk about family pressures that we deal with. And then last week, we talked about the rebel mom, how she breaks cultural norms. And we looked at the fact that a rebel mom raises a ruckus. And I like that word ruckus. Because it just kind of has with it, it's kind of that, 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 that down home kind of raising a ruckus, starting up a fight. Because too many times we think that, man, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to raising a great family, that it's just going to kind of easy and we're going to look good doing it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't look good. Uh, one person said it like this, progress isn't pretty. You ever see somebody on, uh, in, in the gym and they're really going to work on that elliptical? I mean, they got sweat pouring down. They aren't worried about the makeup. I mean, they've got three more miles to go and they're going to get it in. Or he's on the incline bench and he's working out, lifting that weight. And all of a sudden, sweat's pouring, doesn't care. Why? Because progress isn't pretty. Too often, we want to have this beautiful family and make everything look good and think that, man, it's all got to look good. Otherwise, if it doesn't look good, maybe we're not really doing anything. No, progress isn't pretty. And so you may feel right now, man, I, I don't know if our marriage is working or if our family's working. If there's a mess, guess what? There's probably some ministry happening there. But this morning, I want to look at a topic. You can write this down if you're taking notes. We're going to talk about eggshells and elephants. Eggshells and elephants. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to the book of Genesis, chapter 37? It's a familiar passage of Scripture. You say, what's happening in that passage of Scripture? There's a famous character. His name is Jacob. Later, his name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons. And the 11th son, his name is Joseph. Joseph gets a beautiful coat, doesn't he? And if you're not familiar with the story, we're going to look at it right now. We're going to talk about some things as we go to the Word of God. Notice if you would, verse number 1, here's what uh, the Bible has to say. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had borne to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father looked, loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. You know, today we have eggshells. There's an old uh, uh, idiom that says, uh, 
or you maybe have even heard it, it's, it talks about walking on eggshells. When you feel like you're around that person, you feel like you got to walk on eggshells. And you know where it comes from, right? You, you get that. It's, it's nothing new. But when it comes to eggshells, it, it's interesting because we're, we're so careful around them, right? Hey, I'm just going to set some eggs, eggs down here, and I want to be really careful. We're not even allowed coffee in this building, so I don't want to step on these, make a big mess. But, I mean, it's one of those things where we'll just put some eggs here because you, you get it, walking on eggshells. There's certain people you work with, and whenever you work around them, you've got to be extra careful about what you say and what you do. Why? Because they're, they're very sensitive to certain things. And so what I'm amazed by is this passage, there's an elephant in the room. There's some eggs in the family, and they're not addressing it. The Bible says that Joseph's brothers couldn't even talk about it. And I think that's representative of so many families. There are things in families that you just say, uh, we don't talk about that. And so we grew up in these homes where moms and dads, brothers, is, oh, this one's already cracked. I don't know what happened to that one. Not my fault. And uh, we grow up in these homes where now we've got to navigate the eggshells. And all of a sudden we're, we're walking through and, and there's things we just don't talk about. We don't talk about the fact that mom and dad sleep in different bedrooms. We just don't talk about it. I'm going to get real here for a little bit. We don't talk about the fact that our brother's a drug addict. We just don't talk about it. We don't talk about the fact that, guess what? We've got a, 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 a daughter who's had a, a, a teen pregnancy. We just don't talk about it. We don't talk about the affair. We don't talk about the, the immorality. We just don't talk about these things. We just don't address it. They're just these eggshells. And what's amazing is, is there's a lot of tension when you're stepping around eggshells. I mean, some of you, you're feeling tension with me just putting my foot on these eggs. You're just like, please don't. And here's something. Many of you have more tension in your life than you need. How many of you are like, I got enough tension. But when we have eggs, shells in our lives, when we got these elephants, it creates a tension in the relationship because you can't be open and honest. It's funny. You can go to work. You can be open and honest with somebody who's not doing their job. That's part of your job to call them out. But yet you do it at home and you get reprimanded for it. Because we're dealing with elephants in eggshells, and we feel like we're at home walking on eggshells. So guess what? Your children are tense, your spouse is tense, and you are tense. You have to go to a chiropractor, and they start working your shoulders like, whoa, what is going on? You are so tense. You're so tight. There's so many knots, and it's just the tension. And you have so much tension in your life, it's starting to physically manifest itself in your muscles. The chemicals are starting to build up there because you're dealing with all these things you just say, we just don't talk about. And I know it's real. And I know you came this morning, and you were like, no, come on. It's been overcast. It's wet. It's rainy. I just need me a good, happy little sermon to send me on my way. I don't want to do that. You see, I want to give you some tools for your tool belt. Or to put it in terms for the Silicon Valley, I want to give you a software update that'll make things speed up in your life, okay? And I'm not talking about one of those updates where you, it takes two gigs of memory on your phone. You're like, for what? What did I get, you know? Now my screen shakes when I move it, really? That took two gigs, Apple, for real? I just want to vent about Apple for a second. Every time I do an update, I lose more space on my phone. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so if you work for Apple, we got a little beef because my phone, I buy the cheap one, only 32 gigs. I can't afford the bigger one. So man, all of a sudden it starts my space, but I'm, I'm getting off track. It's an egg. It's an elephant in the room. And we just say, oh, I'm not going to address it. We just don't talk about that. The hard thing is husbands and wives not talking. That there's just subjects they just say are just off limits. Hey, you don't even have to be in a marriage relationship. You can be in a relationship. And if you've got eggs or elephants in it and you just say we don't address those things, it creates a tension. It blocks off communication. 
It blocks off the ability to connect. And so here you've got brothers. Guess what? They're not really mad at Joseph. They're actually mad at their dad. And they're not talking about it. In verse 5 it says, hey, and they just wouldn't say a word. That's what happens, and that's what's destroying families, is the fact that, guess what? We get to a point where we just say, you know what? There's some eggs in the family, and we're just going to kind of, we don't want to break them, and we just want to stay away from them, so we're not going to deal with it, and we're just going to act like it does not exist. You know, the, the crazy thing when it comes to walking on eggshells is that you can't keep them from not cracking. You can't keep them from not cracking. You're going to do something that's going to crack the eggshells. You can't. That's just life. You're just interacting with people, and it's going to happen. But here we are in relationships with people where we're just not dealing with our dysfunction. And it's a problem. It's a problem because God wants us to be open and honest with those people. And family should be the one place where you could say, hey, we deal with what's real in our relationships. We don't just uh, 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 gloss over it. My wife and I, we went for our 10 years, and we, we did a 10-year anniversary trip to Hawaii. And uh, uh, I finally went up to her, and I was like, you know what? There's something I really hate about our marriage. And then she just kind of had this look, like, oh, my goodness. What is he about to say? And I was just real adamant. And I just walked up, and I was like, I, I just can't take it anymore. My wife's Filipino. And uh, so I just, I finally, I, I reached down. I took my, my flip-flop up, and I said, I hate flip-flops. I said, they're not manly. Look at this. When I walk away, click, 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 click. I was like, what is up with that? I can't even storm out of a room and feel macho or manly. I feel so feminine and weak. Flip-flops. And they do that heel-clicking thing like plastic slap in the back of your heel. I was like, what's up with that? And I was like, plus, feet are ugly. I don't even like feet. I don't even like my feet. Now we've got to show it off to the world? She's like, well... We, we do our toenails. I was like, I'm not doing my toenails. I'm not going to go and put uh, uh, whatever stuff you put on your toes. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, but because I love you, I'll wear flip-flops if you want me to. I can't stand them. And it's a little thing. And it's silly, isn't it? But those little things can turn into big things that we never address. You say, we just never address it. And so we go through our relationships and there are eggshells that we're just kind of like, oh, we don't talk about it. We just don't talk about it. We get the fact that there's an elephant in the room and the elephant in the room is something that you and I, we just say, oh, we, we just don't address it. Other people, you've wa- walked into a situation. Maybe you've been invited to dinner and you sit down. The other couple's been there first, but you can tell they had an argument on the way over to the restaurant and they're sitting there. And then you could just tell like, this is not going to be fun. And they're like, yes, we're going to have fun. You're like, I don't think we are. And then you ask them, is everything okay? We're fine. And you're like, oh, it's not fine. And now you've got two hours of this. Why? Because there's an elephant in the room, and the elephant has become the family pet. And instead of addressing it, instead of saying, hey, we need to start dealing with this, and, and, and we're so, especially if we're in the church, we're so bad about dealing with this stuff. We just want to act like it really doesn't exist. We want to act like, we don't have any eggs. You see, here's, here's the reality. Your elephant is laying eggs. That's what's happening. You didn't know that was possible, but your elephant is laying eggs. And your kids know it. Your grandkids know it. Your relatives know it. Everybody knows it. You just don't want to address it. There's a famous king in the Bible. His name was David. David had several children, several wives. And uh, one of his sons, his name was Amnon. 
The Bible says that Amnon did exactly what David did. You say, what did David do? If you came last week, you read what David did. He took Bathsheba and he, he, he forced her against her will is what he did with Bathsheba. So Amnon says, dad got away with it. I'm going to try it. Except Amnon does it with his half-sister, his stepsister. And guess what? He does get away with it. You see, Amnon sleeps with his half-sister, takes advantage of her. She tells her brother, her brother's name is Absalom, and Absalom tells her, don't say a word. And for two years, nobody talked about it. And this is the king, the man after God's own heart. Talk about some elephants in the room. Talk about some eggshells, and nobody's going to address it. So finally, Absalom is seeing that his dad's not addressing this issue. Absalom throws a party for his dad. His dad's not able to make it to the party, so his dad sends Amnon in his place. And at the party, Absalom kills Amnon at the party. You say, well, what happened next? This is crazy. This is, this is what happened next. The very next day, it says that David is angry. Oh, okay, then what did he do after that? He sent Absalom away for seven years and didn't talk to him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. One son took advantage of one of your daughters. The other son got vengeance and murdered him, and David's still not talking about it? And we do the same thing, don't we? Yeah, yours may not be as big, it may not be as bad, but yet your spouse knows. Your husband knows. Your children know. They know what's going on. They know what's happening. They pick up on this. Like, hey, my daughter's seven, and she has these journals. And sometimes I'll open up these journals. She'll just leave them lying around. And she'll journal about what Jane and I uh, had a passionate discussion about. And I was like, she's here as a reporter taking notes. And then I'm like, babe, see, I did win. See, I told you. I told you. See, we have a record of it. And Jane's like, I'm about to hit you with this book. And I was like, okay, I'll stop. You see, even our children know, and they don't have to be very old to pick up on these things. They feel the tension in the house. They feel the tension. They can walk in from school and be like, oh, maybe I should go to a friend's house because they just sense it. And so we can choose to say, you know, we're going to address it, or we can just be like these brothers and say, hey, we're not going to deal with it. You see, first of all, please write this down if you're taking notes. Families shouldn't connect because they disagree. They shouldn't connect, disconnect because they disagree. And that happens a lot, doesn't it? One disagreement creates a disconnection. And we allow that disconnection to create a drift in the relationship. And it gets bigger and bigger, and we never deal with it when it's smaller. Now, here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. Dealing with the eggshells is not easy. I've been married for 10 years. That's longer than some and less than others, but it's still 10 years. Guess what? If there's been a problem in my marriage that's taken me 10 years to create, I'm not going to fix it in 10 minutes. I'm not going to fix it in 10 hours. I'm not going to fix it in 10 days. I'm not going to fix it in 10 weeks. Help me out, church. If it took me 10 years to create the problem, how long is it going to take me to undo it? 10 years. That's why we don't deal with these. Now, I'm not saying every problem is 10 years. I'm just saying if it took you that long to create it, don't just think, oh, we'll just <clears throat> one therapy counseling session and we're good. And I know a lot of people that do that, and then they come back to me and say, hey, pastor, we're getting a divorce because we went to that counselor once, didn't work out. No, no, no. How long have you been married? How long has the problem going on? Six years? And you went to one counseling session for 60 minutes? Yeah, no, no, no. If I walked in this morning and you see my arm is broken and the bone is sticking out, you'd be like, hey, pastor, I think you need to go to the hospital. I don't think you need to be here. Now, some of you, you'd be like, no, no, I've seen the good doctor. Let me fix that right up. Anybody got some tape, tape in the house, some gaffer tape? Let me just take, that, take care of that and just fix you right up. 
No, no, you'd be like, go get help. You see, when it comes to things in our relationship, why aren't we willing to do the same? Why aren't we willing to say, you know what, I know this is going to take some work, but I'm going to do it. Here's what I know about your spouse, guys. Here's what I do know. They can be so mad, bitter, angry against you, but if they will see you and I consistently working to undo and fix it consistently, that'll start to soften the heart. They may not change their behavior outwardly, but it'll start to soften the inside. Because if it took us 10 years to create the problem and we start showing consistent work at trying to regain trust, trying to rework at those things, all of a sudden it'll start to break down that wall. It'll start to soften their heart. It'll start to soften their posture as we say, you know what, I get it, I was wrong. And vice versa. I'm not just picking on the guys here because I are one. No, no, it can go the opposite way too. It can go where it's been the opposite, where maybe it is the wife who's causing more of the problem. I don't know which way it needs to go. I don't know who laid the egg, all right? I don't know who did, and it doesn't really matter. It only matters who's saying, hey, guess what, let's pick it up and let's deal with it. Let's just not leave this for our kids. Let's just not sweep it under the rug. Because many of us feel like, hey, if we just ignore it, guess what? It will go away. And it won't. You've tried that before. Your kids tried that. Your coworkers tried that. Your employees tried that. And guess what? It never works. It doesn't just go away. It keeps coming back. So let me get really practical for a second. You see, when it comes to conflict in your relationship, conflict stems from unresolved conflict. You're saying that's deep. No, it's not. You get it. Conflict stems from unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict in the marriage stems from unresolved personal conflict. You see, what you have to do is we love to project. We love to make somebody else the bad guy and never just step back and say, no, 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 there's some conflict not in here that hasn't been dealt with. Well, we need to step back and say, you know what? I need to examine myself. I need to see what's going on inside, and I need to start there. And instead of looking at somebody else, trying to project my issues onto them, I need to look within. Who had the issues? It was the brothers had the issues. Joseph's 17. Of course he's going to take the coat. Imagine if you're 17, and your father says, hey, here's the keys to the Porsche. It's yours. Do you think the son is going to be like, oh, no, father. There's 11 much older, wiser, and better than me. Uh, please start with them. No, he's 17. He's be like, yes. And you know what he's going to do? Start up that Porsche, drive in front of those 11 brothers, and be like, nah, 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 nah. Dad likes me more than you because I'm 17 and I'm immature. That's what immature people do. But here, these brothers won't address it. They won't talk to their dad about their issue. Instead, they're going to get even Stephen, but who are they going to get even with? They don't really want to hurt Joseph. You know that, right? Who do they really want to hurt? dad. That's who their issues with. Some of you, you actually don't want to hurt your husband. That's not who your issues with. Your issue could be with your dad. It could be with your mom or stepmom or a relative who's hurt you. But yet you can't get at them so you'll get whoever is next to you. And this creates a disagreement which now families disconnect. And then you got people saying, well, finally, I will just go and I'll just find another spouse. I'll just find another husband. I'll just find another wife. Hold on, hold on. You say, well, God will just give me the grace to find another one. Wait a minute. What if we just stopped and we just prayed and say, God, guess what? You're going to help me in this relationship. God, you're going to give me the strength in this one. I don't need to keep hopping and looking. No, no. God, I believe you're powerful. I believe you can do miracles. And so, God, only you can fix this relationship. Only you can save this. So, God, please start within and start working on me. Start dealing with this conflict. Real practical, like really baseline. One of the biggest things Jane and I used to always struggle with, and I see it so many times in families, is we're so busy, right? 
Our kids do Taekwondo, they do cheerleading, they do piano, and then on top of that, I've got all the things that I'm doing, all the things my wife is doing, we both work, and so it creates a lot of uh, attention with schedule, and you get it too. This week, we had not only meetings, not only birthday parties, but we also had the school recitals, as well as Taekwondo, and as well as piano, as well as all these things. And so what happens, it's real easy to come to a night and be like, all right, babe, i got to run to a meeting. And my wife be like, no, no, you're watching the kids because I've got a meeting. Oh, no, 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 I already told you. No, we didn't. And then the kids are like, hey, mom, dad, I need you to take me here. And you're like, call an Uber driver. Megan, you go with that Uber. You're going to take a lift and a cane. Here's the keys to the car. Good luck. You know, I mean, it just gets to the point where you're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Janelle used to always be so frustrated because we couldn't get our calendars in sync. And then finally, somebody invented something called iCal. Amazing. I have a love-hate relationship with Apple. Like, I love Apple, and then sometimes I hate it. And when it came to iCal, I love it because I can sync calendars with my wife. You know how many arguments and problems this has solved? She told me yesterday, she said, just want to let you know, my mom and dad are coming on June 11th. I said, excellent. I will be out of town June 11th. Perfect. That gives me plenty of time to plan this out. No, I love my in-laws. They're great. But... Last time they showed up, I was like, babe, you didn't tell me they were coming. I'm not ready, and I got all this stuff going on. And she's like, no, I did. Check your calendar. And I was like, ah. But it helped our calendars. A lot of our conflict comes because of our calendar. And Jane and I solved a lot of our problems by simply looking at our calendar and saying, okay, who's going to do what? Who's going to do? So nothing catches me by surprise. And if we hadn't, there's no way I could handle with my wife's best friend passing away. And now she's got to fly to Washington to go be at a funeral and go support her, her friend's family. There's no way I'd be able to do that without the schedule. And you say, do you guys look at it every day, every week? No. Every three months, we change our schedule. We go on the seasons. I've got kids in elementary school. So guess what? We go off the school calendar. Every season, we reevaluate. Every three months, we look at, hey, what's the schedule looking like? And you know how many problems that's solved? Because then once I put it in, all of a sudden it sinks across all our calendars. Some of you are frustrated because you haven't had a date with your spouse. And it's not because they don't care about you. It's because you haven't taken the time to calendar it. You see, here's the thing. I can tell you what you really value if you show me two things. What you do with your dollars and what you do with your days. That's what really matters to you. Where you spend your time and your treasures reveals what's really important to you. And for some of you, it's very telling where you spend your time and where you spend your treasures. And your children knows it, your spouse knows it, that you can spend all this money on a car, but yet you have a hard time taking your wife out. So instead of taking her to a nice restaurant, you go to Ikea where they give you 30 minutes of free childcare and you're going grabbing those Ikea little nasty sausages with grape jelly. I don't know who invented that, but it's gross. Don't give me a little meatball with grape jelly on it. I didn't pay for that. My goodness, I don't like Ikea. I don't like Apple. I don't like Ikea. Let's see what other business I can rant on for a little bit. So you're doing that. I'm telling you, come on, man. You can do better. Just plan to say, hey, we're going to go to a nice restaurant. We're going to go out. I'm going to get a sitter. And all of a sudden, when they start looking, they're going to say, wait, we're a priority. Hey, another priority is church. I don't know about you, but too often, we just kind of assume that, guess what? Our kids know what's important. They know God matters. And then they're looking at your schedule, and they're saying, man, we go to church once a month, Dad. I don't know how important it is. Like, if you only go there once a month, and for one hour, once a month, that can't be that important when you have 162 hours in a week, and you're only giving God, out of almost 800 hours in a month, you're only giving him one. The average church member, they say nowadays, actually attends church less than two times a month. Less than two hours with God. And yet, you want to tell your children that he's important, and they're looking at your schedule saying, Dad, you're saying one thing. Mom, you're saying one thing. But guess what? Where I see your dollars and your days being spent, it doesn't show that they value that they matter. 
I grew up old school Baptist. You say, what do you mean old school Baptist? We call it three to thrive. My dad was a pastor, so I'd get up early on a Sunday morning, and uh, I would help set up. I've been portable ever since I can remember. You're just going and setting up church and doing that kind of stuff. Except we had something called Sunday school. You got there at 9.15 for Sunday school, and you went to Sunday school. You got your sticker chart. Then you went to big kid church, and you sat in church, and then you went home for the afternoon, and you came back early because we had a Sunday night service. But before the Sunday night service, we had choir practice. I was in the choir, y'all. Yeah, I couldn't sing worth anything, but, man, I'd stand there, and I'd sing in the choir, and it didn't matter because everybody else would drown me out. So I'd get there early for choir, and then I would stay for the Sunday night service. Here's the thing about a Sunday night service. You didn't, if you didn't grow up in a Sunday night service, it didn't matter what time the preacher felt like getting done. He'd go as long as he wanted. So you pack a lunch and a pillow. It just didn't matter. And he was going to hang out until the Holy Spirit showed up. If the Holy Spirit wasn't showing up, guess what? You weren't leaving. You weren't leaving until he showed up. So it could take an hour and a half, two hours. It didn't matter. You were just there. And then we would come back. We had a midweek service as if enough church on Sunday wasn't enough. You got to come back in the middle of the week. And on top of that, so we have our midweek service. On top of the midweek service, I had youth stuff. Saturdays, we did outreach. And then that's not including the spring revival, winter revival, autumn revival, summer revival, vacation Bible schools, special events, youth retreats. We were in church a lot, y'all. I was always in church. Here's the thing. What were my parents trying to teach me? Something mattered, didn't it? And guess what? I don't look back and say, man, That church stole all that time from me. I'm so sheltered. I'm so messed up. I'm messed up, but it's okay. I love Jesus, and Jesus loves messed up people. So here's the reality. I saw what was important. And I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip, but let me just tell you this. From the time I turned 18, do you know how many Sundays I missed church? Zero to 18, that's how many Sundays I missed. That's not me. That was my parents. Because they would drag me to church because they were like, no, no, this is important. But yet, what are we telling to our family? I get you need a break. I'm not trying to say, man, you always be in church. But I am trying to say, you know what? We've got a real problem when we can't even give God an hour a week in the house of God. You see, it, they say it takes a village to raise a child. I say pick the right village. Southridge is a good village. Rich kids is a good village. My kids have been saved and baptized in our church. I think we've got some great life group leaders. I think we've got some great ministry leaders. I think we've got some great pastors. I think we've got some great staff here. I think we've got some good things. This is a good village to say, guess what? I'm going to be here more than just once a month because guess what? My family problems aren't going to be solved if I'm not in the family of God. And if I'm not around those people who are stirring me on, iron sharpening iron, saying, guess what? Hey, Dad, you can do a better job at loving your wife. Hey, Dad, you can do a better job at parenting your kids. Hey, wife, you can do a better job at spending time with your husband. I know life is busy the kids are demands, but you can give him a little time and attention. I get it, kids. Guess what? Mom and dad are busy, but guess what? You can honor and respect them. You can obey them. They're not perfect, but you can still honor and obey them so that your life will be long and you will prosper. And that's not from Spock. That's from Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 1. You read it and you see it. Spock stole it, okay? And so you got to understand that that's what this church is preaching. That's what we believe because we understand that it takes a village, and so we want to create the right village. That's why we will leave the 90 and 9. We'll go after the 1. You can take our building. You can take our stuff. We don't care. We just keep on going. The mission of Southridge has not, will not change. We exist to lead people to find, follow Jesus Christ. It won't stop. And that's where we've got to get to. We've got to get to that point where we say, you know what? We don't let a disagreement cause a disconnect, not even in our families or in the family of God. I know people that they leave church because they're offended that somebody told them not to sit there. Or they're offended because they got asked to serve. Or they're offended because they got asked to do something they didn't want to do. And they're like, oh, I just, I don't know. Really? Is that all it takes to set you off? Is that all it takes? One little egg and all of a sudden you're just bent out of shape? 
Instead of saying, you know what, I'm not going to let the elephant, I'm not going to let the egg in the room ruin anything or spoil what God wants to do. I'm going to be committed to him. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to keep going. You see, conflicts, they could be solved. Anybody play table tennis, a.k.a. ping pong? Any ping pong players? I remember playing our Christian school. We had one. And it was really fun. You'd, you'd play against somebody, and you'd set it up, and, man, you'd slam the ball down, and it was just boom, match, set, win. You just slam the ball down. They had another thing. If you liked the person you were playing with, you would rally. You know what a rally is? Just gently hit the ball over the net. Just gentle. You're just rallying. You're just going back and forth. Just back and forth. You're setting it up and making it easy for them to hit to get the ball back onto the table. And you're just talking and having a good time. You're just rallying. You know what I see happen in a lot of marriage and a lot of families? Bam! Woman out of teaches you to serve me cold leftovers and make me put it in the microwave. You're going to eat cold leftovers in the microwave for the rest of your life after the way you just treated her. Your kids are, oh, mom and dad, slamming it down. What if you rallied? You said, hey, honey. Here, hubby. Here, kids. Let me make it easy for you. Why do we make it so hard for husband and wives to win? Why do we feel like our spouse is our competition? We need to beat them into submission. It's a sad form that we no longer have influence, and we've got to exercise control and manipulate. And why? Because we disagree, because we disconnect. Not only, you know what we decide to do after that? In verse number five, the Bible says that Jacob gave Joseph a coat. Jacob gave Joseph something physical. Some of us, we admit our bad relationship skills, so we buy people things. We try to give them things. We know we've been a jerk. We know we've done wrong. So, oh, here's a gift. Here you go. Try to buy them off. Especially if we've got the money. We don't have the time, but here's the money. Here you go. What do you want? New PlayStation? What do you want? New car? Latest cell phone? What do you want? I'll just buy you off. So Jacob gives Joseph something. But here's what I want you to know. When it came to Joseph... Physical things can't fulfill spiritual desires. Joseph didn't need a coat because he had a calling on his life. The thing that messed up Joseph's life the most was the coat. What really tipped the scales or really made the brothers upset? And What did they take from him? The coat. All of Joseph's problems stemmed from the coat. It was the last straw. You see, that coat got in the way. Some of you are looking at a physical thing thinking that will solve my issues. No, the physical thing won't. You have a spiritual desire. You have a deep spiritual longing, and the coat isn't going to fix it. That little thing's not going to fix it. You see, we need to get back to the point where we say, you know what, I am going to step back, and I am going to settle what is sacred for our family, get back to the spiritual. Or we say, you know what, my children really long for something spiritual. We live in a day and age where children are worshipped. You say, what do you mean worship? Everything revolves around the children. Everything. The marketing today, our families, everything revolves around the children. Uh, today, most times uh, when I meet new families, just, just real talk, the children decide if you're going to stay in church. You say, why? If they like rich kids. That's why we have a jump house in there. That's why we give them 100 bucks every week. You're like, ah, oh, I thought you guys just won the prize. No, 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 we bribe them. Yeah, I don't get a salary. We just paying your kids, just paying them off, paying them off. But it's true, though. Most of the time, children will decide whether or not parents will stay in the church. You say, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Happens all the time. Do you guys have a youth group? Do you got something for my kids? Really? Is the word of God not enough for us? Is it not enough that the word of God is preached 
where, where it's put out there. Yeah, we don't always like it, but it's just real honest. I'm not just hearing about tips and tricks where I'm just like, it's, it's real world stuff that actually will help me. Because I don't know about you, but I've been in ministry long enough. I hate when I see couples fractured. I hate it when I see people fighting. I'm thinking, man, if they were just in church. Man, if they were just in a small group. Man, if they just had some Christian friends. If they just had somebody that was there. And you're trying to hop as a pastor to one person or another. And you're trying to spend coffee and dinner. And you're trying to meet with people and pray over people and say, hey, you could do it. But they need more than that. They need the Christian community. The Bible says in James 5, confess your faults one with another that you may find healing. There's healing in this community. But we're disconnected from it. And so we try to fill the void with physical when we have a spiritual need. You see, your children were not meant to be worshipped. They weren't. They're not meant to be the center and the object of your affection. You see, how do you know children are worshipped today? Because whenever there's a divorce, you get upset at the ex, but never at the children. You say, well, it wasn't their fault. Of course, why would I get upset at them? No. It's the fact that all of a sudden you raise them up and you start spending all this time and attention that you were giving them all along that you were never giving to your spouse. And I get it. If you were like me, broke and poor, you want to give your kids everything that you never got. I didn't own a new bike until I could buy my, myself a new bike. Seven siblings, one bike. Let's share. I pray it's not pink. You know what I mean? Little streamers, little pink helmet. Oh, great, I'm going to get beat up going to school today. That's just how it was. So, of course, I want to buy all three of my kids a bike. Hey, I want to give them two bikes, make up for all the ones I never had. I had to have a bike that was huge, way too big for me. So, of course, I want to give it to them. But what am I creating? An entitled child, a spoiled brat. Of course, you as a parent want to give your kids everything that you never had, every opportunity you didn't have. My dad never said he loved me until I was after out of the house. Never once said it. You say, you've got to be kidding me. No, because his dad died when he was 18. He never heard it. So guess what he passed on? What he never got. Oh, don't feel sorry for me. I'm just saying this is what we do, and this is how we set up our children. And our children become the object that we worship, but your children were never meant to be worshipped. They were meant to be taught how to worship God. We worship one God. That's healthier for your child because they can't bear the weight of that. That you're like, you got to succeed. You got to be everything. And some of us, we're living vicarious through our children. You're putting that weight and that pressure on our children. Why do you think depression and suicide is on the rise among young people with all this potential and all this stuff? Why? Because they're carrying the pressure of their parents. And so we need to step back and say, wait a minute. I don't need to just give them the physical. I need to give them the spiritual because God created them as spiritual beings. Lastly, in closing, we're we're wrapping it up just because you bury it doesn't mean it's gone what did the brothers do they took Joseph took his coat and they threw him down an abandoned well and they thought we'll never hear from him again 20 years later they're starving they go to Egypt and who's there it's Joseph you could say this morning hey pastor thanks a lot that was good. I'm sure you worked hard on that. All right, that's good. But yeah, I'm not really going to deal with these. As a matter of fact, I kind of like my pet elephant. Who else has a pet elephant? Check out this guy. Yeah, I got my pet elephant. He smells funny, but it's all good. I like eggs. I like them. I don't care if they're crushed. I like them scrambled. It's all good. It's all good. You say, I'm not going to deal with them. That's fine. That's totally fine. But I'm going to tell you, 
When you and I decide not to deal with these things, not to address the mess in our life, it does not go away. You ignore it, it doesn't get better. And some of us are thinking that I'm gonna ignore the problem that I have and it's just gonna get better. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's gonna be hard. You're gonna, you're gonna have a tough conversation. And that conversation may not fix it right away, will it? Like I said, there are problems, I've only been married 10 years that I've created over 10 years of marriage that I've created, I'm having to work backwards to fix it. And I'm falling more and more in love with my spouse, not because we're perfect, we are far from it. Wednesday or Sunday night, Saturday night before Jane preached, we were having a little row, a little, a little passionate discussion. She was like, you have to preach with me. I was like, I'm not doing it, no. She was like, you have to, there's no way I can preach by myself. I was like, I don't care. And she was like, what? I told you a year ago, I wasn't. And she was like, I can't believe you're doing this to me. I was like, I'm going to bed. I'm going to sleep in. She was so mad. And then she preached such a good message. It was such a good word. And I was so proud of her. And then we went out to lunch. And I was like, babe, you did so good. I would have just messed you up. See, I know a couple things. You see, sometimes we don't like to address these things but I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray that you would no longer avoid conflict. I'm gonna pray that you would say, you know what, this is gonna to be tough. I don't know how long this journey is gonna take. And if it takes counseling, it takes counseling. If it takes therapy, it takes therapy. If it takes me just making sure that I, I work less and I get a different job, we don't have as much money, that's fine. It doesn't matter, but I want this right because there's eulogy values and then there's resume values. One day, we're all gonna have somebody say a eulogy about us. And I hope that it's packed full of people. My uncle called me. I haven't spoken to my uncle in 20 years, lives in Hayward. We're starting to reconnect. Distant, and he called me this week. He said, hey, my, my paternal grandfather on that side passed away a year before I was born in 83. He said, hey, do you want some of your grandpa's stuff? Do you want to get to know him a little bit? I got his diplomas. He was an engineer. He, was, he, he did all this consulting work for Congress and all this stuff. He, he, he's really well known. The thing about my paternal grandpa is this. At his funeral, there were three people. My mom, my dad, and his then girlfriend. His own son didn't even show up because he said, I'm not gonna address any issues. I'll burn every bridge, nobody matters. And that's what we're dealing with. And I know it's not fun. And it takes some courage to be candid. And so I'm gonna pray that we have the courage this morning. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.